Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Brought to you by our friends at Smith.ai. So if you're looking for a virtual receptionist service for lawyers, you should check out Smith.ai. So I am Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, for the first time in a while, Oh my Ellie God. Stahl. So guess what, guys? Yeah. I am a blogger, and so with that, a lot of times comes the suggestion or the criticism, or the snarky remark um, that oh, you're just you're just some guy sitting your keyboard, you know, sitting your row behind a keyboard in your mother's basement. Well, today, yes. folks, I am actually in my mother's basement, and there you I go. I'm in my sweatpants, actually in my mother's basement. It has happened. I'm 40 years old, and the circle has now been completed. Making dreams reality. So, uh, yeah. That's not what so I'm talking about today, though, because I like my mother. Okay, good, good. So she's in the room. She's also, yes, she's absolutely in the room, and so there's a good chance there that I go. won't be cursing today. Mm. <laughs> Exciting. I, I like how he said that he did not say that he won't. He said there's a good chance. Well, so. I have a pretty cool fucking mother, so you never know. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right. That's not what I'm pissed off about. I'm not pissed off about being in my mom's basement. I'm not pissed off about working with my sweatpants. Do you know know what's grinding my gears today, Joe? I have no idea, but I'm excited to hear about it. Apparently, there are men in this world of ours who are less sensitive than a Gillette razor. It's amazing, isn't it? That's actually where we are, too. That a freaking razor commercial has exuded more, you know, good men sensitivity than the right-wing males of this country can abide. And so most of the time on Twitter the past week, the fights have not really been about Trump or the shutdown or whatever. It has been alt-right men losing their mind because Gillette Razor Company asked if if this was really the best men could be. Yeah. Yeah, no. That, I mean, that, that's a real thing that happened. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen the ad, it's, you know, it's, and by the way, it's a, it's, as a liberal, I'm not inclined to like ad campaigns right, like this, okay? Like, it is a giant corporate behemoth trying to glom on to the Me Too movement by putting together an ad um, that's basically, you know, looking, kind of touching on some of the Me Too issues, um, and then using, you know, if you're not familiar with Gillette's products, their their company tagline is the best a man can get. And so they have basically all these kind of scenes or examples of men behaving badly, and they're, they change their tagline to ask, is this the best men can get? And then at the end of the ad, they show men, um, instead of doing the wrong thing, instead of, you know, looking away as boys fight, saying, oh, boys will be boys, to show, you know, fathers getting involved and breaking up fights and telling their children, you know, that this isn't how we're, we're going to treat people. And, you know, not laughing it off when the comedian grabs some, somebody on the, you know, pat somebody's bum. 
Um, that's that's the ad. It, and, yeah. you know, it, the, the, it ends with, you know, reminding people that the next generation of men are watching. And it says the best thing I can get is, like, buy a freaking razor. Like, that's the whole, that's, that's, that's the thing. Be a decent man, yeah. buy a Gillette razor. And the right wing has, has lost their minds over this. Yeah, boycott Gillette is a tagline I've seen. And, of course, because it's the right wing. I mean, it's, there's something about Republicans right now where burning your own stuff to own the libs is, like, a thing. So, <laughs> like, throwing away their razors, you know, putting YouTube videos of them, like, sending, you know, throwing their razors in the trash. You paid, you paid good money for those razors, and they're throwing them away because they don't like the yeah. ad campaign. It's just... Because they, they don't like the insinuation that perhaps being a good person would be a bad thing. Right. Yeah, it, uh, we've entered, we've gone through a looking glass here. Uh, there's some broken people. But it's actually, I found it very useful because I'm utilizing Twitter and Facebook as an opportunity to determine who the people who are like real life beta males are. And that's <laughs> it. People <laughs> who are actively pissed off about this is exactly the insecure people that should be excised. But yeah, so there we go. So you're, you're mad about that. That's yes. fair. I'm mad at the people who are mad at Gillette. That's, that's how that rolls. Because there's there, and as you put it, I mean, I I, I try not to use these terms, right? <laughs> but yes, the, yeah. the the fragility of the alt white is on display because we live in a world where a freaking razor company is actually more sensitive. It makes me well, want to shave, and I don't like shaving. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, what's going on with you this week? Well, well, we'll get to that. I, I think this is the right time. We'll get to what I've been doing on the other side of this. But in the meantime, are you missing calls? Are you spread too thin? Interruptions kill your productivity, but clients demand a quick response. The U.S.-based professional receptionists at Smith AI help law firms screen new clients and schedule appointments by phone and website chat. Plus, Smith AI integrates with your software, including Clio and LawPay. Plans start at just $60 per month, Get a free trial at smith.ai. So what's up with me? I'm tired. I am very, very exhausted. It's been a rough week of staying out late with meetings back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back, uh, every night. So isn't it's, it's, uh, it's a legal week out there, isn't it? It is not yet. Uh, that is coming up. But uh, that is why I have meetings back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Uh, some of the savvier people out there, not to say anyone's not savvy, but like some of them who are in the New York area said, well, wait a minute, he's going to be totally booked if we wait until legal week. So they've been scheduling things now saying, hey, we're in the same city. Let's tell you about all our offerings for the show a week early so that you, know, you don't have to try and squeeze us in between 20 other companies, which is great. Ah. It has meant that the whole affair of constant meetings starts early now. To be young, yeah, you must feel like uh, Alexandra Sarah-Cortez. Yeah, sort of like that. I'm doing something exactly as important. But no, um, you're the AOC of Legal Week. Right. So uh, that's a fair fair moniker. Anyway, what's interesting to me about Legal Week, which is coming up, uh, this is a good time to mention it. Uh, If you are one of those folks who's going to be going to Legal Week or just someone in the New York area who would like to see an interesting discussion – 
you can come to see us. We're having an event. Uh, you can look it up on the website. We have an event bright thing so that you can uh, RSVP for it. But it's going to be an interesting panel discussion about how to fix legal tech shows. What is it people want to see out of a show that's talking about legal technology? And this runs the gamut. We have different people from different perspectives talking about what kinds of products they want to see, how they want it laid out. It's a discussion that if you're in this world has kind of been begging to be had because uh, we just learned today that Thomson Reuters of Westlaw fame, large legal services company, is decided to pull out of the upcoming ABA tech show and that they're reevaluating, in their words, going to tech shows ever again. So with that announcement, they're doing that because they have started to wonder if maybe these shows where all these vendors get together and try to pitch clients if if there's maybe just no utility to it to them. And that's why we're going to have this discussion to kind of figure out what people think would make for build a better mousetrap of a legal show. When you say us, you mean you, right? I am moderating this panel, but uh, we have multiple guests. Uh, Bob Ambrosi will be on the panel. We have folks from the vending side. We have folks from the in-house side and folks from big law firms. So we're going to run through and kind of have a McLaughlin style. I mean, it's us, so it'll be fairly light and there could be a few jokes thrown in there. And uh, yeah, and after that, we'll have some drinks and uh, chat with people. So it's a, it's a fun time. Go RSVP, especially if you're going to be at the show. That sounds great. Maybe I'll RSVP. I might have to put on pants, though. Yeah. It's a Monday, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. You're like basically Garfielding over there. Yeah, I'll, I'll totally, I'll totally shop. That 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 sounds like me. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we're, um, so that's coming up. Uh, that was the one aspect of what we were talking about because Legal Week is coming. That event is coming. Uh, other stuff that's been going on today. We've also had to reacquaint the world with a term that. Thankfully, we haven't used at Above the Law in several years, but it's one that uh, is making a comeback apparently today, which is stealth layoff. Yes. So it appears, and we are still waiting on confirmation for how this all went down, but multiple sources within the firm Cahill-Gordon say that there was a purge, basically, of an entire class of litigation folks. Senior litigation lawyers all kind of got told to hit the road all at once. Now, obviously, we don't know for sure if everyone was affected, but it certainly sounds like from the tipsters who've reached out to us that it's a blanket firing, uh, which is what we used to call a stealth layoff, where you don't say you're laying people off, you just go around and individually tell a whole group of people that they need to leave. Yeah, and firms can do it differently. And again, we don't know all the details with how Cahill may have done it. But there are two hallmarks of the stealth layoff. One of them, I think, is generally, I'm going to go on and say it's positive. One is kind of horrible, right? I'll start with the horrible one, as is my want. One of the problems with self-layoffs is that you kind of make the people feel or understand that it is something about them. It is something about their performance or their work product. or you know, not, It's not a four-cause layoff, but it's an upper-out kind of layoff. Oh, you're probably not going to make this or that. Right good time for you to start looking for another job, right? That's, that's the horrible thing, because it, it kind of deprives people of the, I would say, dignity of just saying, look, we, we're out of money, we need, to, we need to cut costs or whatever it is, right? On the positive side, and I'm going to put this as a positive, until we report it, 
people don't know you've been laid off. <laughs> so yeah. So the benefit of the self layoff is that you do have a little bit of runtime where you can kind of try to find another job um, before the industry catches up to the fact that you're looking for another job because you've been essentially fired from the last one. Cahill, if yeah. this is what, and again, we don't we don't have all of it locked down yet, but if this is what Cahill is doing. You know, I would say that it's at least uh, beneficial that they're doing it at the first, uh, early in the year, because this is the time when people are making lateral moves. If you're not familiar with the big law hiring cycle, what most people do is that they wait till their bonuses come out. Their bonuses usually do not come out the day that they're announced. You usually have to wait some period of time between announcement before the bonuses fully vest. So you have to be at the firm in good standing on December 24th or January 1st or whenever the firm um, dictates. And after you have that money in your bank account, that's when you kind of immediately hit, um, if you're inclined to leave, that's when you hit the lateral market. So being stealth laid off at this particular time in the calendar is kind of the best way that it can happen because you're still, you kind of have plausible deniability you are, you are, that you're just looking for another job as opposed to having to, to run around with your, your hat in your hand um, explaining how you've been pushed out of your last one. Yeah, and it does seem, uh, just looking, trying to put together tea leaves on my end uh, with this story, it does seem as though these folks may well have not been getting laid off because they're bad at their jobs by any stretch of the imagination. It seems as though what appears to have happened is we just had partner elevations for them. Uh, It seems like a lot of people in this particular group just got elevated. Uh, Obviously, they're one year removed from the class that we hear is having this problem, and I think it might just well have been a, we just filled the partner slots for the next forever, Uh, so... I'm sorry, but we're not going to make you a partner, so you might want to get out, which is, you know, unfortunate. But in some ways, it's nice to at least know that uh, there's no reason to stick around. And it does mean that it reflects better on you, uh, especially with a firm like Cahill, which has historically a very, very small partnership class all in uh, compared to some of these large firms out there. So people kind of can understand, oh, you know, it makes some sense. It's not it's not you, it's them, sort of. So when they hit the market, it could be better. Right. Look, lots of firms have up or out policies, and it's, it's not great, but, but at least, as you say, at least you know where you stand, and you're able to make, you know, again, doing it at this time of the year, um, I think really allows people to make better, um, to, to have a better chance and, and to, to, to have, a, have a real shot of, of landing on their feet. Because one, one of the things that we've seen, and this is, one of the reasons why we're talking about this story is that layoffs tend to be a little bit like mice, right? If you if you see if you see one mouse, you've got mice. Like, right? um, yeah. But we don't know that yet, right? and 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 absent information to the contrary over the next weeks and months, the legal economy still seems to be fairly robust. It's still uh, you know it, we don't see a lot. You know the bonuses. Um, we're strong. We just went through a set of salary raises. Um, there's not a lot of you know, kind of outward indications um, that big law is about to go through a massive contraction, at least not this year. Um, and so if you're 
in this position, like a senior Cahill associate, um, there should be jobs for you. You should be able to, again, land on your feet. Yeah. And, and it, these things happen. But it, <laughs> but it is it is where we come in uh, as above the law. It's kind of our job to make sure that information is out there. And uh, so thank you to all the tipsters who reached out to let us know so that we can report on it and help, you know, help everybody by knowing exactly the state of the market. Now, you say you don't foresee problems. I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, law, the legal industry is usually a lagging indicator, but I, I see some things to suggest to me that there's going to be some reckoning within the legal world. I don't know as though it's going to affect the very, very top, but I think that growing gap between the maybe let's say AMLAW 2530 and the rest of the AMLAW groups is going to eventually hit a breaking point and something's going to give. Uh, but no. for now, on everybody's totally, expanding. On that, I totally agree. And I think we agree on that in large part because of just the existence of the salary raises in the first place. I mean, I think you've written about mm -hmm. this um, when the raises were happening in real time last year. But, you know, not every firm needs to be paying what Cravath pays. And the fact that every firm has decided that it has to pay what Cravath pays means that some firms are more financially insecure than others. And eventually, yeah. with this, you know, idiot in the White House, uh, you know, eventually Trump's ruinous economic policies are going to hit Wall Street. And when Trump's ruinous economic policies hit Wall Street, they will hit big law just as well. And the firms who are stretching themselves to keep up with crevasse during these relative salad days um, are going to, I think, pay a significant price um, when the wheel comes back around. All I'm saying is that I don't see a lot of evidence or a suggestion that the wheel is coming back around, you know, this year. Yeah, maybe. It will be very, um, those of you who are at smaller firm, you know, mid-sized firms with a robust uh, bankruptcy reputation uh, could well come out very well when all that goes goes bad. I think there's going to be some firms that really need some bankruptcy folks. Don't don't you always. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, the counter-cyclical yeah. practice. It, I mean, it's amazing. I when I was uh when I first started out, I was in litigation mostly cuz I didn't have anyone in my family who was a lawyer before and I didn't understand what other practices existed but litigation. But as a litigator, the way my firm handled litigation, it was kind of obviously there's a lot of transactional aspects to it as well as litigation and on the litigation side of it, we kind of shared resources. So I did a couple of bankruptcy things, and I very much thought, very much thought, I never ended up having to go into it, but I thought, it's good that I'm learning how to do this, <laughs> just in case. Uh, I want to make sure that it's known that I've actually argued in bankruptcy court before, because uh, that could easily come in handy. Anyway. Can we talk about Giuliani now? Oh, if you want to. I mean, this, this freaking, you wrote the post, I mean, this freaking guy. I, I just, I I mean, I just re I refer to him as he's like late stage Brett Favre at this point. Remember when Brett Favre <laughs> reached that point? So Brett Favre eventually reached a point where the fact that he had never had good decision making started catching up with the fact that he used to have physical talents that overcame the fact that he had terrible decision making. And despite this, those chuds who were running uh, network news sports sites were just going off on, you know, he's just like. He's taking risks out there. He's a riverboat gambler. Like, you got to respect the playground mentality. And it's like, no, you don't. 
He's making terrible decisions. He's an interrupt. He's a back-breaking interception machine, and, and that's where I think we are with Giuliani. Every time Giuliani does something now that materially damages the case of his client, in this case, the president, all I can think is there will be a string of people going, "Look, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, masterful lawyer. He was a get tough prosecutor." And I'm like, "No, he." He's he was the pros he he ran the SK and what they don't lose generally speaking like it, it's not actually all that difficult to be very good as being a federal prosecutor right like it's uh, not to dis, not to say that it's not hard work and lots of power yes yes it's not that it's not hard work it obviously is but like come on people uh is he any materially smarter than any one of a number of U.S. attorneys out there not particularly he was better at self promotion perhaps, but come on. And so as this keeps happening, all I keep going with is it's possible that this is the Brett Favre moment where he had all those physical gifts that were running one of the most prestigious federal prosecutor offices in the country. And now that he doesn't, maybe we should start recognizing he wasn't all that great to begin with. And that's why he's going around saying things like, I mean, I never said that there wasn't collusion. But, but Joe, let me ask you, this. let me ask a question this way. Is it, do we th- and look, I know part of this is choosing between your children. Is it that Giuliani's the worst lawyer, or is it that Donald Trump's the worst client? If you have to choose. Yes, they're both awful at their respective roles. But sometimes you hear Giuliani talk, and, and it occurs to me that the reason why he consistently sounds like such a freaking idiot is because his client is such a freaking idiot that the facts change. Like, we don't know what kind of actual access Giuliani has, right, to this defense team. So the facts are changing under Giuliani as he – and his, you know, his, his biggest failure is that he has no problems lying. Um, which a good lawyer should not. He's a good lawyer should not say such ridiculous, over-the-top, sweeping statements just in case um, their client is an untrustworthy, lying jerk face. Obviously, that is Giuliani's. That's that fault is entirely on Giuliani. But we also have to recognize that he is working with possibly the worst client ever uh, in American history. Rudy Giuliani nearly torpedoed one of Donald Trump's most central campaign promises because the moron went on television and said, yeah, I mean, I was called in to make sure we got a Muslim ban. He's, it is not the client's problem here. This is absolutely Giuliani doesn't have any clue what he's doing. That, that Muslim ban nearly died because this guy couldn't stop himself from saying, hey, it's a Muslim ban. That's no client. That is a bad lawyer. And that's where we are. This is a guy who's not really a good lawyer. He's just... Let's put it this way. He's been he's been booted by a couple of big law firms that he's worked for since leaving office. Uh, Big law firms don't cut dead weight that uh, that gleefully uh, if they really think that they've got gold there. Uh, He gets shown the door because nobody really thinks he's the second coming of Clarence Darrow or anything. Good point. (laughs) Like it's that it's the Muslim ban one that like makes me go no 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 that was an unforced error that's the point where he just threw in a triple coverage and had no like no plan while running and looking like a kid out there. Yeah no I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lift my voice one second to defend Giuliani's tactics or behavior or acumen or abilities or credibility so there. 
Yeah, so we've uh yeah, we've had we've had that story. We've had uh, some we're gearing up for tech stuff. We've got uh some law school news. You, uh, you, you know some... what I you know what I want to talk about. Oh no, what do you got? You know what I want to talk about to to close the show. Sure. It's it's well, that? you know, you it's it's just the most interesting field of law kind of ever. Uh, that a lot of oh, no, 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 no. You're going to talk about takings. <laughs> takings! <sighs> There's a takings case that happened that was re-argued this week. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's not, they're not taking crickets. They are taking this woman. All right, all right, all right. Here's what's happening. Nick V, uh, some township in Pennsylvania. I forget which one. Because um, I'm super prepared for this show. Um, the Nick case. It was argued in October, but there was only eight Supreme Court justices, so they re-argued it with Justice Brett um, this week. The issue of the case is that this woman, Rosemary Nick, owns some property um, that also happens to have a cemetery. She, I don't know why she owns part of a cemetery, but she owns part of a cemetery, so there's that. Pennsylvania, the township, has an ordinance saying that if you own on private land a cemetery, you have to allow for a certain level of public access um, for people to be able to see their dead loved ones, which, again, seems reasonable. However, Pennsylvania says that this is not a taking, and Rosemary Nick says, no, you're, that's, that's a taking, that's, that's, a, that's a government taking to which I am entitled just compensation. Now, the legal issue is a bit more naughty, where, where the real kind of the Supreme Court issue is that Pennsylvania has kind of a state law process for handling these takings disputes. Pennsylvania is saying they don't owe her any money, and they're saying that uh, Nick has to litigate her entire claim through the Pennsylvania state court system before she can appeal to the federal courts um, for her Fifth Amendment rights. And Rosemary Nick, I think correctly, is saying... No other constitutionally protected right works that way. If, you, if somebody violates your constitutional rights, you have an immediate cause of action to go to federal court and defend your constitutional rights. And she shouldn't have to waste time going through Pennsylvania. She should be able to appeal directly to the federal courts. That's the issue. That runs in the face, Nick's argument runs in the face of like a 35-year-old precedent that is entirely settled law. It's like an 8-to-1 decision written by Anton and Scalia, like it's a it's a lock-solid precedent. But as you well know, conservatives have spent the last 35 years or so bitching about takings and trying to make it harder for the government to take property and trying to make it more expensive for the government to take property. So we're in the situation where you have five conservative Supreme Court justices on an issue they're supposed to care about with a plaintiff they're supposed to like, and all they have to do is overturn a 35-year-old Antonin Scalia decision to get to the right result. Oh, and in the offing, if the conservatives do that, well, it'll just make it that much harder for Donald Trump someday to take property for his wall. I love this case. That is, I mean, there is definitely something to be said for that. The wall concept would require taking land from people. Many of those people are folks who don't want their land taken from them. So that's a fair point. <laughs> the wall, I mean, for, to build Trump's wall... What people understand about the wall, right, is that the federal government does not own 2,000 miles along the U.S.-Mexico border, all right? They own, at best, 
about a third of it. And by the way, over most of that third, there's already some barrier or structure, you know, hounds or whatever the hell they have to (laughs) intimidate um, asylum seekers. But for the rest of it, they have to get that land from somebody, and most of these people don't want to sell. You ever try to take land from a Texan? That's, that's what they think they have the Second Amendment for, not the Fifth. <laughs> so the government is going to have, and the real issue is not even going to be whether or not the government has the authority to take the land, although I do think there are some interesting, is this really a public use issues here. But the real issue is going to be what the just compensation is, because the government is going to only want to pay for the narrow strip of land. You, you, you've taken my whole property, so you have to pay me for my whole property, because this 30-foot high, ugly monstrosity has now decreased the value of my entire property, not just the strip that you've built on. And so the just compensation issues are going to, are going to, there are still takings issues going through the court system from George W. Bush. Mm. Eminent domain is going to stop this wall long before Nancy Pelosi puts her shiv in its back. Okay, everybody. Why aren't you just like, where's your soundboard with your applause lines and, and cheering now for this amazingly interesting <laughs> field of law? Why why do you hate taking so much? Uh, it's 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 boring, and uh, you were way <laughs> more fascinated by it than you really should be. But you make some good points, and uh, if you're interested in, you know, if you're interested in taking a nap but having a hard time getting to sleep, <laughs> you can absolutely cue this podcast back to about the 24 minute mark and listen to Ellie. Uh, he has some some prime stuff for you right there. All right, so with that, I think we can uh, safely begin our winding down process. So thanks for... Classic liberal doesn't respect all of the amendments. Yeah. Like the fifth. Cool. Actually, most liberals do respect the fifth, but not the takings part. Okay. So uh, with that, I want to thank you for joining us, Ellie. It's, it's been a while. It's nice of you to... Thank my mom some... for, for, yeah. for, letting me, for letting me join. Well, thank you, Mom, and thank all of you for listening. You should also thank Smith AI, who sponsors this show, for making all this possible. You should be listening to this podcast through your subscription. Uh, If you aren't subscribed, you should do that now. You should also be giving it reviews and writing things about how awesome it is. That Well, that all helps the algorithm make sure that more people get to see the show should read Above the Law. Follow us on Twitter. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. I'm at Joseph Patrice. You can listen to other podcasts. Uh, Catherine, who's been guest hosting, has one called The Jabot. You also have all of the Legal Talk Network offerings. Uh, If you just go over there and check all those out. And yeah, that's pretty much everything. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. There's a non-zero chance I'll have a microphone next time. Uh, yeah, it's non-zero. It, it, it is not 100, <laughs> but it is non-zero. It's the best you can hope for, people. All right, that's it. Bye. Peace, guys. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. 
the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.